I can't help everybody, neither can you. We're finite, time-bound, but don't let that be an excuse. My mantra is, I can't help everybody, but God, by your grace, I'm gonna help those I can. And that's what you have to do. This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loretz. Join us as we continue a series of messages looking at the importance of the one another statements found in the New Testament. One another implies caring involvement among those in the body of Christ, a very important aspect of the Christian life. We are to be ready to support each other, willing to step in and share the load when trouble comes. Well, so far in our series, we've looked at loving one another, forgiving one another, clothing ourselves in humility toward one another, and today more about bearing one another's burdens. When we left last week's program, Crawford was sharing the first of three ways we're to bear one another's burdens. The first way is to share the load, to come alongside a brother or sister in Christ and offer relief. Today, we'll look at the remaining two, learn to identify with their hearts and bring them to Jesus. Let's head back to our main passage, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Here's Crawford Loretz on living a legacy. So how do you bear one another's burdens? Number one, you share the load. But number two, number two, you identify with their hearts. Notice how I said that. You identify with their hearts, not with their opinions, not their preferences, not whether they agree with me, not whether they line up with my thoughts. Now, you identify with their hearts. Romans 12, 15, if you're taking notes, Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Paul said that elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, when he drops it into the context of our membership in the body of Christ, that we're all members one of another. Divine DNA flows through us. And he says that we, we should suffer with those who suffer. Weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. In other words, we feel and share the pleasure when our brothers and sisters are doing well. We celebrate with one another. Why? Because that's me. That's you. But also we feel and share in the pain when they are hurting and struggling. We, we, we don't know, and I, I, I need to do a series of messages. Somebody here needs to do a series of messages on the beautiful gift of lament. The wonderful gift of lament. This is, a missing, this is a missing discipline in Christianity these days. The ability to identify with the pain of one another. Now, I'm not talking about psychological enabling and all of that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about what the Bible teaches the ability to identify with the hearts of people, weeping with those who weep. I, I happen to believe that in this cancel culture that we're living in right now, we are eradicating the word empathy. Let me back up a little bit. Let me draw, let me, let me distinguish between 
sympathy and empathy. Now, both of them, the root is pathos, the feel. And uh, I almost feel embarrassed because I'm going to give you a little quick thumbnail distinction here. And I understand there have been articles and books written about the difference between these words and this kind of thing. But basically speaking, sympathy means to feel for someone. Empathy means to feel with someone. That's the basic distinction. A little more than, than that. But basically, rock bottom is sympathy says I feel for someone. Empathy says I feel with someone. Sympathy has more of an observational emotional response. Empathy has more of an identification response. Well, let me just give an illustration here. We drive down, down the connector there. We see all these cardboard uh, shelters and tents underneath these overpasses and things like that. We drive past that all the time. And you may, in a traffic jam, you look over there and you go, oh my, I just feel for those folks. That's a legitimate you feel for them. Somebody needs to help them. That's sympathy. Whereas empathy, I'm going to give this illustration. I don't usually like giving illustrations where I'm a hero, so to speak. But um, when our oldest son now, and I can't tell you how old he is now. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but when our oldest son was probably 12 or 13 years old, he was with me. He was in the city of Chicago. And we were, I was speaking there. And so we were walking down the street. And I saw this homeless man, and I don't know why this guy gripped me like this, because I don't normally have this kind of visceral response. But when I saw him, and the reason I share this is because Brian said this, he's, Brian's in his 40s now, this, this left an incredible impact on him. When I saw the man, I start weeping. And you know why? And Brian looked at me and said, Dad, what's wrong? And I just said, that could be me. Son, that could be you. That man is somebody's son. That man is somebody's father. Hear me, church. I am so burdened by what has transpired over the last 10, 15 years with social media. You hear me. Everybody's trying to be insightful. Everybody's trying to be a, a, you know, a computer critique. We, we, we're, we're, we're giving our opinions and our thoughts on everything. We're, we're, we're blowing people up. We got cancel culture. We're quoting our favorite TV commentator on what's happening politically here. We're dissecting why, why people do what they need to do. We're, we're hurling this other. And the price that we're paying is that we're developing calluses around our hearts. We have more compassion for our ideas and our analysis than we do for people. And my goodness, we can't listen to the, to the pain of people without critiquing. Well, that, that's because you came from here. That's because this, this, this is what the government is doing. That's because of your background. That's because you've been on welfare your whole life. That's because you've been that. That's because you. I mean, we, we so layer it that even as Christians, we've lost the compassion to feel 
And I got to tell you, this is a bigger problem than we're willing to admit. And a lot of that is because we're insecure. We feel threatened. Well, let me give you a few suggestions on how to develop empathy. Just a few suggestions. First begins with how we think, not how we feel. How we think and not how we feel. Some of us just need to challenge and examine our conclusions and biases. Why are we so quick to jump to a conclusion about a person? Why are we so quick to put them in a category? Why, why do we have to figure them out? Why do we have to cubbyhole folks? This is a big hindrance to identifying with them. Now, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. There's, I'm not saying throw away truth, and I'm not saying throw away discernment. Don't hear me say that. But part, part of the reason why we have a hard time, have a hard time showing our hearts is because we've made pre, premature conclusions about folks. The second thing that I would say is this. I've already said it. You know, it's the old cliche. Walk in someone else's shoes. Before you draw a conclusion about a person, about what they're going through, before you draw that conclusion about them, ask yourself this question, how would I feel if I was in that situation? How would I feel if I got that report back from the doctor? How would I feel if one of my own kids made these choices and decisions? How would I feel if my spouse did that to me? How would I feel if I got canned from my job? How would I feel if I had that sinful addiction? I'm not saying that it, might, it, it will change how you think, but I think before we pull, before, before we pull the conclusion stuff, before we summarize and put people in a cubbyhole, and sometimes our body language, we might not say it, but our body language, you know, communicates Step into their reality. I mean, they, they, they could have screwed up, made all kinds of bad decisions to get there, and, and later on in the conversation or in the relationship, you might get there. Thirdly, not only listen with your ears, but listen with your heart. Listen with your heart. Don't just listen to the words, listen to the pain. I've said this before. Number four, resist the temptation to prematurely critique or analyze. Notice I said prematurely. You, you, you may need to critique it and analyze it later, but be, resist the temptation to prematurely do that. It's okay. And then finally, remember that empathy communicates that you're, you realize you could be in the same, same place. Now, now here it is. There have been studies done on this. <laughs> Do you know the people who have the greatest penchant toward healthy empathy? You know who they are? It is the poor and those who are, are and have struggled 
usually people who have been taken advantage of. There's something about suffering that tenderizes your heart. There's something about being disadvantaged that marks you. Now, I'm not saying that we all have to be poor. Some of the most tender people I've met have been folks, interestingly enough, that had a lot of resources. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but it does mean, it does mean that we have to work on identifying with the hearts of others. Okay, we'll go home on this one. So how do you bear one another's burdens? Well, share the load, bear us, get under that rock with them. Number two, you identify with their hearts. But number three, you bring them to Jesus. Now, there's that great invitation. It's almost, I almost didn't want to use this text, but it, it, we talk about it so much, but I could not resist. It just says it so well. In Matthew chapter 11, that, that great, great invitation. And the reason why I say bring them to Jesus, here's, here's what we need to be careful of. There is such a thing as a Messiah complex that you have to be careful of as a Christian. Meaning that you can so like people depending on you and sharing their burdens with you. And that Messiah complex is a subtle form of pride. You know, it's a very subtle form of pride where you, people are asking you questions, you're giving them answers. And you know, those of us who, who are pastors, this is a common sin that we fall into. But you have to always remember this. We are a resource, but we're not the source. You always have to make that distinction. We are a resource, but we are not the source. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the source. We are the resource. And that's to take the burden off of you. That you don't, you, I, I'm not the one that delivers anybody. I can't deliver me. I'm not the one that changes anybody's life. But we got to bring people to Jesus. Don't cul-de-sac the relationship. You know what I mean by that? Don't, 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 don't have it just stop with your em em empathy and your caring and this kind of thing. We can all sit around and cry all day long, but that ain't going to change nothing. What people need is something supernatural, someone supernatural, and that is Jesus. And that's the reason why Jesus gave, gives this incredible invitation here in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a promise. I can't make that promise. Neither can you, and stop trying. The best I can do with anybody that shares a heavy load with me, I give them books to read, or give them some insight, give them some thoughts, but I got to take them to my Savior. Because he's the only one that can make that promise. So don't get it twisted. Don't, don't think that you're the source. No, we're just the resource. Notice who he identifies. <laughs> the invitation is getting, given to those who are exhausted and burdened, who, who, who labor and are heavy laden. 
Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Just exhausted emotionally. You feel like if you get another, not even sentence of bad news, another few words of bad news, it's all over. People's weariness comes from enduring their burdens. They're tired. And the greatest thing that we can do to somebody, sometimes just put an arm around them, social distancing, get on your knees with them. The greatest thing that we can do is say, let's go to Jesus together. Let's go to him together. And by the way, he says, take and learn. Take and learn. Take and learn. It's not just coming to Jesus, but it's responding to Jesus. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I said? This is a huge mistake. You can pray to Jesus all day long. You can read the Bible all day long and nothing changes in your life. Change is triggered by response. So he says to me, you come here. Yeah, okay, you're in my presence. Now, what are you going to do? What you had better do is drop your load and stick your neck in my yoke. Make the transfer of the burden, is what he's saying. Take my yoke upon you. He's using a figure of speech. Uh, uh, Jesus says, I'm the older ox. You're the younger ox. You do what I tell you to do, and you're going to find rest. You're going to find rest. You know, take means when we come to Christ, we, uh, by faith, he gives us rest. But when we take his yoke and learn, we find rest. Coming to Christ, we establish peace with God. However, when we, when we, when we learn from him and yoke up with him, we experience the peace of God. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for Crawford. But you can take me to Jesus. And you can whisper in my ear, hey, Crawford, the Savior's here. Do what he tells you to do. How do you bear burdens? Share the load. Identify with their hearts. But realize you're a resource, but you're not the source. Bring them to Jesus. But let me make these four quick summary observations. Someone comes to you and they're broken. What do you do? The very first thing you do is that you listen. You give them your undivided attention. You listen to them. You don't fumble with your phone. You don't judge them. Judgment may come later about the issue. You might have some discernment later about the issue. But you listen to them. Secondly, you pray. When people come and they unburden their hearts to me, I'm praying, oh God, what do you want me to say, if anything? What do you want me to do, if anything? I'm praying, God, will you step into this moment? My sister, my brother is crushed. 
And then I'm praying for them. And, and, and really mean it. Don't, don't, don't tell somebody you're going to pray for them and don't do it. Pray for them. And then the third thing that you do, if there's a way possible for you to help them or resource them, do it. Do it. Now, here's the point. I realize this. I can't help everybody. Neither can you. We're finite, time bound. We're not omnipotent. We don't have <laughs> divine attributes. We have other stuff. But don't let that be an excuse. Don't let that be an excuse. My, my, my mantra is I can't help everybody, but God, by your grace, I'm going to help those I can. And that's what you have to do help the ones that you can, but help them. Help them. If you've got resources that, that, that can apply, if it's wise, give it to them. Help them. Set them up with some. You know someone that, that's an expert in the area in which they're struggling with. Connect the people, but, but help them. And the final one is this. Stay available to them. Sometimes the greatest help that I've ever had in my life when I've been hurting has not come from some incredible insight that the person has given to me, has not come from anything. They just... They were just there loving me. <laughs> you know? They were just there loving me. They're answering my phone calls and responding to my text messages and my emails. They were there. Don't ever, ever, ever underestimate the power of your presence. In fact, during a crisis, people need your presence more than they need your presentations. Be there. Obviously, the one that helps us all is our Savior. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you don't know him, now's the best time ever for you to say yes to him. For he stands and says the greatest load that you have on your shoulders right now is the load of guilt and shame. And Jesus bore that load on the cross. And he says, I'm here to set you free. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn for my sin. And I receive you as my Savior and Lord. And you'll come into your heart and life. Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy. How can we bear one another's burdens? We share the load. We identify with hurting hearts. And we bring them to Jesus. And as Crawford said earlier, when unbelievers see the way brothers and sisters in Christ care for each other, they at least must be willing to ask why. A great message today. It's part of Crawford's latest series called Better Together, the One Another's of the New Testament. We'll conclude it next week with the message, Encourage and Build Up One Another. Has the series been helpful? A brief email will help assure us that God is using Crawford's teaching in your life each week. Many choose to stream these messages, so let us know if that's the case for you or if you listen on radio. Connect with us through the Contact Us link on our website, livingalegacy.org. If you missed out on some of the messages in this Better Together series, look for the Past Programs link on the website. Stream them at your convenience and you'll quickly get caught up. Again, stop by livingalegacy.org. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for joining us today. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.